0: Greetings, fellow beekeepers and fellow bee friends and bee lovers the world around. Today is Monday, May 20th, and it is World Bee Day. This day was set up in honor of Anton Janza, who was known as a pioneer of modern apiculture. So we hope that you enjoy this episode of the Hive Jive and World Bee Day.
1: What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host, Ken Milam and John Swan, as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive.
0: Well, good morning, Ken. Good morning, sir. I guess, technically, since it's a podcast, um, good evening, good afternoon, good night. (laughs) Something like that. They can listen to it whenever they want to, but for us, it's morning. And I, we're gonna start this off. So we okay. we have um, we have video evidence to clear up your burning questions. <laughs> does the dur- does
1: the direction of when it go when they flush the commode or pull a plug? which does what which direction does the water go? All right, so if you're down south. If down you're, under.
0: If you're down under, if you're below the equator, yeah. it does go counterclockwise. So if you're in the northern hemisphere, um, it's going to naturally swirl clockwise, and if you're in the southern hemisphere, it will swirl counterclockwise. And- Does all
1: your blood rush to your head <laughs> if you're upside down? I mean, we're right side up here. Yeah, they're, they're upside down.
0: So <laughs> we're, right, pest-
1: we're pestering y'all. We're not picking at you. We're laughing with you. Hope. Oh yeah, right.
0: <laughs> well, Gary with the the kiwi mana. Uh huh. Gary decided that he was going to help you get your final definitive answer on this. So he posted a video, and he did it in the, the comments of one of our um, Facebook posts. Thank you, Gary. But, yeah, Gary went ahead, and he, he took a video, filled his sink basin full of water, reaches in there and pulls out the, the plug, and he says, here, I hope this helps solve the argument. So many, many thanks to Gary. We greatly appreciate you sending that. I got quite the kick out of it. Yeah. Um, the team got a good laugh, and, and Ken, boy, he's just tickled pink over here. Yeah, I know which way it goes now. Now we know. Now, you, now you don't have to ask anymore when uh, when that comes up. Yep,
1: <laughs> yep, yep. Now I know which way the water goes: around and round and up and down,
0: <laughs> round and round and up and down, <laughs> up and down. Oh man. Okay. Well, so uh, I we have pictures on Instagram. You went out and you fed your bees.
1: I fed my bees. I went and got. Uh, uh, John says you need to be feeding them bees. Okay, I went and fed them, and I didn't get stung. That's good. Oh, yeah, I thought so. Even though, you know, the the two Langstrusts are busy, busy bees. Uh, And I figured out how to feed them where I didn't disturb them much. John says, puff a little smoke in the entrance. Okay. So I puffed a little smoke in the entrance. And at one hive, as soon as I pulled the the empty jar out, I looked in the bee feeder and here they come out. So I just put a little puff there and, and put the new full one right back in there.
0: Very good, and And, everybody uh, everybody got a full court. Yep, everybody got a full court. So So it's almost almost about lined up with the the podcasts themselves. So we installed them last Saturday, Mm -hmm. and you uh, you had the feed and everything mixed up. Mm -hmm. So we fed them on Saturday. And then today recording wise we are recording this on Saturday so mm-hmm. we're exactly a week from the installation and he fed them yesterday so he yep. fed them on Friday so yep. it was six days between installing them and then refeeding them and they've they'd all drank their sugar syrup down he went through and mm-hmm. put in the new court uh, jars in each colony to get them going and what happens when you do that you're you're basically helping reduce the workforce that they need for certain things so if mm-hmm. they've got that sugar syrup right there handy, they don't have to delegate or allocate as many bees to go out and forage for the nectar. They can go through and they can take that right away. And if the colony is small, like a nuke is pretty small, right. packages are right. small, you're actually helping them out by doing that because then they don't have to allocate any foragers to going out looking for the sugar. They can actually just come and get it from the jar, take it right back, and start building out that new wax and that comb that we need so that they'll grow and expand. Now, the the hypothetical to this is that you kind of look at your beehive along the lines of, of a hypothetical number stating roughly 5,000 bees are required mm-hmm. to do all the tasks inside the hive, and that would be feeding the brood, taking care of the queen, cleaning, and then building the new wax. Now, mm-hmm. more can be recruited into that building wax process, mm-hmm. and it'll go faster, and mm-hmm. your swarm will usually do that. But when you look at it from that perspective, you then have this thing you can base it on and say, okay, well, if my colony is only 5,000 bees whatever I can do to help them out is going to be better for you and better for the bees. Right. Now, as that colony grows and now they get up to 10,000 bees, well, now 50% of them can be out foraging. And that's when you're going to see that activity pick Mm -hmm. up and start really increasing. And then, you know, the bigger it goes, the more you get. So if you have a colony and you use a queen excluder, for instance, and you have, if we talk about it in a Langstroth perspective, You've got your deep box, and it Mm -hmm. gets completely full, and then you've got your medium box, and it gets full. Mm -hmm. And then, say, you put a queen excluder on there, and then you've got two more medium boxes. Well, your queen is restricted to just the deep and the medium, and that's all the volume that she can lay before Mm -hmm. she has to wait for that to hatch out. If you have another colony beside it that's identical, same strength and size and everything, there you go. Every episode. There you go. <laughs> there's Ken's phone. <laughs> um, she's exactly like that. That other colony is exactly the same. They, they're they laying the same rate and everything. But, but you no, didn't put a queen excluder Yeah, no queen it. excluder. What happens there is she has all the volume from all four boxes mm-hmm. that she can lay in. So you may end up with one colony that peaks out at about 30,000 bees and the mm-hmm. other colony that peaks out at around 60,000 Which one do you think is going to do better? Sixty thousand. Absolutely, that Mm -hmm. that one super strong colony will outperform three or four mediocre Mm -hmm. colonies every day, hand over fist, and it's because of the amount of workers that they have to go out get that stuff and bring it back into the colony.
1: I know uh, the the two Langstroffs; they are busy, busy, busy. That's all I'll say. And they are, you know, that one bunch when we put that one bunch in, they were hot. Remember the, the yeah, one that, that the one one on you, you run me off when you put that bunch yeah, out? Yeah, the one on the left. they not now. They just is docile, and they got so much to eat out there. I guess it was the long ride.
0: That's what they were upset about. Are we there yet? Well, we could say that, but they were also fairly pissy the night before, too. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. So they had... With all the rain and everything going on, I actually went out and I picked up that whole load of nukes from the apiary and I brought them in town and put them all in my backyard. Mm -hmm. And they stayed back there for a couple of days because we had more inclement weather coming and I didn't want to worry about, well, crap, now I can't get out to the bees because it's underwater or anything. So we brought them all back in, had them all set up in the backyard there at the house. And then that morning, I just had to load them up. Well, the night before you move them, you Mm -hmm. always want to close them in. And I went out there and there's... I don't know what, there was like four five, six, seven. There were seven hives in a mm. row there. And I started on the first one on the far side and closed its um, entrance down to just vent only. And I was kind of going down the line and I was still three colonies away from that specific one. <laughs> and they just started pouring out of there. And, you know, it's nighttime. So, mm-hmm. but I wasn't doing anything to be loud. I didn't, I hadn't even touched their colony. So there shouldn't have been any signals like that, but they they were just a little honry. And the, the downside on that is, like, so we start all those colonies off from our own stock. Mm-hmm. And so we have the parent colonies, and they go through, and we kind of break them out. Well, that specific para- parent colony, their mama's genetics are a little bit more on that redheaded mutt side. Okay. And so they have a little bit more of that redheaded temperament going on. And they've only had their new queen at that point. For maybe a month, maybe. So she hadn't.
1: She hadn't. Another two or three months, she'll pretty much redo the whole hive. Yeah, and
0: hopefully, actually, the the hypothetical aspect on that one is a rough estimate of six weeks. Yeah. And that's because the adult bee's lifespan is only about six weeks from the time they emerge. It's three weeks inside the colony doing all the work and everything. Then they graduate to a flyer, a flyer, mm-hmm. which would be your forager, your guards. Once they hit that mark. They've only got about three weeks left because okay. they're going to literally work themselves to death in right. that three week time period. Okay. So in this time of the year, you can say, Well, if I put a new queen in there now and she starts laying eggs and she starts raising brood, within six weeks, all of the adult brood that was already there should now be gone because they've they've expended their mm-hmm. life expectancy. So when you put her in and you get her going and she starts raising that new brood, you'll slowly, over the course of those six weeks, you'll start seeing that change in temperament and maybe even a change in the coloration of your bees. And it'll all kind of just evolve around to where eventually they're now mellow and their whole attitude has changed because the genetics inside that colony have changed.
1: So now, when do I get ready to start uh, splitting the hives? <laughs> it's like
0: last episode. When do I get my honey? <laughs> so you are... You are a year away from any worry of that whatsoever. okay, well. But that is a great lead in because on today's episode, we are going to we're going to jump forward in the future here. And we're going to talk a little bit, um, not necessarily to those of you who have just started, but we are going to kind of jump script here a little bit. And we're going to talk to those of you who have been keeping bees now for one full year and you're coming up on your second year and you're like, well, what do I do? and we've gotten some questions um, this is an unofficial official unofficial listener question unofficial episode listener question <laughs> okay so the 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 first one here we're going to talk about this is from our buddy B Weijin, which b. i was Weijin. i actually got that right whenever i said it that, on that episode b wegan that's his from? that's his screen name oh okay yeah that's not okay. his actual name okay um, he had sent an email and he had asked us about uh, you know, trying to help prevent swarming, and what does he do whenever his colony gets bigger? Should he go through and do this versus that? And he does Langstroth sp- uh, specifically, and so he's asking a question about supering versus nadering or nadering. And I know nader. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think mine was Mater. Yours is Mater. Yeah, quit. he was a cartoon truck. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Voiced by Larry the Cable Guy. Yep. And uh, you've actually done a show with Larry. I've
1: had Larry Cable. <laughs> yeah.
0: Not on the Hive Jive, but what's, on the on the Great Outdoors, or was it on one of your previous shows? It was, it was on the Great Outdoors. Yeah. So Larry yeah. the Cable Guy was on uh, one of Ken's <laughs> He's radio a shows. Character.
1: I'll tell you that much. <laughs>
0: well, so. Mr. Bee here. He wanted to know about the difference between supering versus nadering. So the difference literally is a super is your medium box or whatever size mm-hmm. box you want to do. That's going to be your honey super. Supering means it goes on top. Nadering or nadering means it goes on bottom. So if you're doing a Langstroth and you're doing it the quote unquote traditional way for a Langstroth, you're going to be doing supering. You start off with your box. They fill it up. Now, Pay attention here, everybody. This is key. When your colony is ready to grow and expand, you don't just add all your boxes at once. If you do, do, they'll, do yeah, they'll do what's called chimneying, where they're going to go straight up the middle. They'll fill up like three frames in the center of every box, but they won't touch the rest of them. And then it's just a mess and it's a pain in the butt. So you wait until your first box is 90% full, meaning all oh, of yeah. the comb in the center, Twi- with the exception of those outer two. And we've mentioned this before, but mm-hmm. it's very key. full, then you add your new box. And then when that box is 90% drawn out, meaning Mm -hmm. they've got comb stretched all across all those bars Mm -hmm. or frames, Mm -hmm. then you can add another box. And you can continue that through the main nectar flow. For us, you're going to stop adding boxes about mid-June, late-June, because at that point we're running out of the nectar flow and and things are going to stop. So when do I need to start checking
1: my... The supers that I, the, the, the deep boxes, the brood boxes that we put
0: in to see if I'm getting to where I need to. You'll check. Well, see, every week you're out there, every seven days right. you're doing some yeah. sort of check. And that's going to be one of those things you do is as you go out and you feed the bees or you do a little mini inspection, you look and you see, okay, well, we know that when John was here, we installed five mm-hmm. frames. Right. And now they're up to seven. And then the next week, now they're up to nine. Oh, nine frames are drawn out. I'm almost there. When mm-hmm. they just barely start on that 10th frame, now you add your box. Okay. And so it's just kind of a constant monitoring as you go through. Okay. So when you look at the super ring and the nadering, nader, nadir, nadir, nadir-ring, nadir-ring. Nadir-ring. when you go through and you look at that, now you can turn around and you can say, okay, do I want to add on top or on bottom? And if you're putting them traditional Langstroth method, those boxes are going to go on top. And that's so much easier on the beekeeper well, yeah. because you're you're just setting an empty box up there, which is lighter. And then they're going to fill it up. And then you just keep adding on the top of it. But in nature, and this is where the other aspect comes in, bees start at the very top of their cavity. Mm-hmm. They attach their comb. They start drawing it down. And they start one comb. And they'll start expanding it downward. And then beside it, they're going to start another comb. So they're both growing out, across, and down at the same time. And they will build all the way down until they reach the bottom of that cavity. And they will kind of form their comb to fit the shape and volume of whatever cavity they're in. But they start top, down, and then out. So inside a fallen log or inside of a top bar, that's Mm -hmm. actually how it would be in nature, or even in a cave. Mm -hmm. They start at one end, they build it Mm -hmm. down until they reach the, the constraints of that container, and then they expand outward. Well, in a Langstroth, they start that way. They go to the top of the box, the top of the frames, and they build all their comb out. Mm-hmm. So if you were going to let them do it like they would in nature, yes, you would actually under-super. When that's what that term is, the, the nadering or the nadering, is under-supering. You're putting the box on the bottom. Right on the bottom. And it, it then fits where they've already built to the bottom of this box, and so they're already starting at the top of the other box, which is the bottom of their original comb, and continuing downward. So it does make more sense... In the nature perspective, the downside is that deep box. You're going to move that deep box every time you get Every to the, time. And right. if that deep box starts getting full of nectar and honey, you're looking at 80 to 90 pounds that you're going to be lifting every time you do it, if it's a 10-frame box. Mm-hmm. It can get really heavy. Mm-hmm. And then every box underneath it has to be lifted to put your new one underneath it. So that system goes more towards the waray hives. And the Waray Hive is kind of a cross between a top bar and a Langstroth. It just has a bar with no frame. Mm -hmm. They build their comb naturally going down, whatever cell size they want. Mm -hmm. And then the next box has another layer of bars, and they're skinnier than a top bar, too. So you still have that that gap between them Mm -hmm. like you do in the Langstroth, but they'll go down and they'll build more comb. And then you cut everything in half, take the boxes off. Well, they've actually made winch systems that look like cherry pickers for trucks when you're taking an engine out of a truck. And you actually hook your hive up to this winch system. And when you're ready to add another box, you have to hoist the whole stack in the air and put that new box on the bottom and then set it back down. When you harvest, then you harvest from the top. The bees are always going to, regardless which system you're doing, they're always going to start backfilling at the very top above them and backfill down. Backfilling is in like as everything hatches out, right. they fill it with nectar. Then that nectar mm-hmm. gets trans, uh, gets dehydrated down into honey and then that gets capped. And so they're moving downward as they go. That's a lot of work.
1: <laughs> that's I see a that. lot of
0: work. Yeah. That is, that's it. Now, the bees don't honestly care. I mean, it is a little bit different to them. But if you put a box on top of them, they're going to go up above it because now they have space mm-hmm. and they will fill that out. And I've seen them do that in cavities where the cavity may be weird shaped and it may come up and curve and then have a channel that goes up above it with mm-hmm. kind of a ledge. They'll start over. On the open side, they'll hit that ledge. Kind of like I just hit the microphone. They'll hit that ledge and they'll build their comb out. And then as they get that cavity filled up, if there's another opening above them, they will move up and start new comb above that and draw it down until it reaches the other comb. They'll make it work. It really comes down to the convenience of what do you prefer versus what do they prefer. Okay. So... You gonna yeah,
1: I was just going to put the medium boxes on top. It just
0: makes sense. You don't want to have to have a cherry picker in the back no, of your truck? And go no, out there. I don't think so. <laughs> Sounds like no, I'm
1: thinking I'm just going to have top bar and not worry about it in time. Although I've got two laying struts and all the stuff i got.
0: You've got a ton of extra stuff that you could build multiple Langstroths because you've got at least what two more there, plus your two flow hives that mm-hmm. that are not assembled.
1: Yeah, the flow hives aren't assembled. They may be assembled in in the deep bo- deep eight boxes, maybe brood boxes. <laughs> Those things look hard to put together, but I need to put one of them together.
0: You got to Yeah, you got to put it together for the sake of the yeah, listeners so they can hear you talk I about know. it. Uh, You're. Yes, there's a lot of pieces to them.
1: There's a lot of pieces. And
0: it's mainly because it's like, oh, we've got this cute little observation window. And, oh, our roof comes in five separate pieces. Yes, and, oh, too. there's this neat little thing here. Your deep box is easy to build. It's the same as building oh, yeah. the other ones. You just well, put yeah. those together. But then it's that that <laughs> it's the the actual flow it's box that has box. the flow it's frames. The, yeah,
1: it's the window with the flow frame and, and all the little knobs yep. and the little windows. And I'm sitting there.
0: It is a lot. I've had, what the hell do I want all that for? I've had okay. clients pay me to come out and put theirs together before. I could see that. They're like, how much would you charge an hour? And I'm like, well, it'd be the regularly hourly rate. It doesn't matter if I'm messing with bees or building your box, but that's, if that's what you want to do. Uh, so the, the next subject here that kind of goes in line with, are you going to let your colony grow and expand, or are you going to possibly split it? Now, the answer to that question is, what are you trying to accomplish?
1: With my with my top bars, I'm going to say, well, I guess Langstroth's too, for that matter. What I want to do is get as many hives. I want to make honey. Yeah, see, you're, you're going, okay, so. Yeah, I'm going to split it so I can move another bunch into another hive and get it going. And then you're going to have one good, busy hive, the one that you split you can feed it and bring it up a whole lot quicker than you will the
0: hive that you, you split off, right? Because you're going to have to requeen it. No? mm Not necessarily. And it also depends on what method you're doing, too. Like, are you adding a pre-mated queen, like a queen that's already mated and ready to go, mm-hmm. so as soon as she's released, she can start laying, or are you having them make their own queen? Because if you're making your own queen, that colony that has to raise that queen is going to go through a minimum of a month. Of no new life being generated inside that colony,
1: I would say then you need a mated queen to put in there. Also, then you can also get a mated queen that is uh, completely. Uh... You can control the genetics. Yeah, you yeah. can control the control the genetics. Right. That's what I'm...
0: So the questions that you have to ask yourself when you get to this point in your beekeeping career and your or, or hobby, whatever mm-hmm. you're doing, it, when you get to this aspect in this stage, you have to turn around and you have to say, okay, do I want honey production? Is that my main goal? Do I want more colonies? Is that my main goal? Or is it some hybrid of the two? If if it is a kind of a hybrid of the two, then mm-hmm. what you can come up with, you can do some strategies like uh, some of the major beekeepers. We're going to use Canada for an, an example. In Saskatchewan, one of the largest beekeepers there that has a huge commercial operation, mm-hmm. they have like a three-year cycle. So year number one, it's a nuke. Right, And that whole year is about it growing or it's a Mm -hmm. split, and it's about it growing and getting big and then overwintering. overwintering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That second year, it is a honey producer, and the third year it is a honey producer, but then it gets split again. So they exist for a three-year time cycle, and then they're divided out to make new growth. Which means one-third of his colonies are always in the stage of being split, and two-thirds of his colonies are always in the stage of making honey basically and so he's always got new influx of colonies coming in but he's always got more percentage geared towards honey to make their honey production so you can do something like that where you don't split them all every single year because then you'd never make any honey when you split your colony you are dividing that workforce out Mm -hmm. and when you do so you can hamper it to the point where you maybe don't get a honey harvest now to the same degree If you don't split the colony and the colony decides to do its own reproductive split, divide and swarm, you're also likely not going to get either no honey harvest or a very small honey harvest for that year. So you kind of have to walk a fine line with what yeah, you're doing. And the year one and year two, it's it's kind of easier to keep your bees from swarming. But when you get to year three, it's not as easy. And there's a lot of things that go into play with that. Part of that is the queen's pheromone production mm-hmm. may be weakening by that third year. And the colony size is so big by the third year that the pheromone she does produce cannot be equally spread throughout the colony. So the bees start to decide we must be too big. We can no longer detect mom as well and the faint, the smell's getting fainter, so maybe we need to divide and split. So there's lots of triggers that can go through and cause a colony to swarm. So if we track that back around, this kind of comes back into a separate listener question. She wants to do splits, mm-hmm. and she wanted to know, I think she already technically did it, and it was an after the fact, um, did I do this correctly? All right, so we're going to hypothetically say your colony is big enough now, we're going to do a split okay. on it. The split comes into the same concept as when we make the nukes, except Mm -hmm. if you're doing a split in your own apiary, you're not necessarily trying to have the the quantity of splits, so Mm -hmm. you're not going to be as drastic. So we're going to say your goal is going to be five frames or five bars. That's Mm going to be your new split. If you're doing a split because the colony is getting ready to swarm, take your original queen and put her in the new split. So, you're going to find which frame or bar she's on, and she's going to the new split. Just the whole thing is going to go in there with her. That's partially because if they did decide to swarm, it's the original mother that, that gets killed. Right. Well, no, she leaves. Oh, that's right. She yeah, gets she released. leaves. Yeah. So she's going to take, you know, a good chunk of the bees and they're going to swarm off and they're going to go make a new colony. So Mm -hmm. take her out of the parent colony and move her over. If your colony has already started creating swarm cells and they're already in the process of doing that, then you take that queen definitely and move her over. The other aspect of it is she's probably getting older. And so if you put her into something that's going to be smaller, she's going to be able to control it easier and keep it from wanting to swarm that same year. If you left her in the big colony and the big colony swarms, but then they still have a huge like new generation that Mm -hmm. emerges out, Mm -hmm. they could decide to swarm again because, again, if her pheromones are weak, they may still think they need to keep dividing. So that's number one. Put the queen over into the other side. Now, your goal is... What I usually say, you're going to have two solid frames or bars of mm-hmm. capped brood, and that means like 85 to 95% of it is all just capped brood. Mm-hmm. That needs to go into the split. If you can sacrifice that, first off, you don't okay. split your colony if you can't. If you're looking in there and you've only got two frames of capped brood, mm-hmm. maybe you shouldn't be splitting because that's mm-hmm. not really a lot going on there. So you want those two solid ones in there. That's going to give that new generation that's about to emerge is going to help bolster the size of your colony very quickly. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be young bees who will draw out new wax to help that colony expand. Right. Your third bar or frame can be a combination of all life stages. Now, this piece here, this is important. If you're going to have either side raise a new queen, you have to make sure that whichever side's doing the new queen has eggs. There has to be eggs in the comb so that they can raise that new queen. Mm-hmm. So I always say, just in case, put one over in there that has some in it, and then your new queen's over there. So now you've got three bars or frames, two solid capped with brood, one of them that has mixed life stages, so eggs, larvae, pupa, capped brood, all in one section. Now your last two bars or frames are going to be food, and that's going to be, if you can, a frame of pollen, And a frame of food stores, preferably capped if you can get it. But if not, that's fine. Open Mm. food stores are better than nothing. Or you can do two frames of mixed where it's like, oh, there's some pollen here and there. and, And but then the rest of it's open nectar. You can do two frames like that. So you've got two of food, three of brood. That's kind of your total what you're trying to get accomplished. One little side note that I need to interject here. When you are making your splits and you're taking those five frames out or five bars out of your existing hive and moving them over into the new split, one extra thing that I forgot to mention, you want to go through and you're going to want to shake an additional two frames or two bars worth of bees from the parent colony into the split or the nuke. In order for this to work, you definitely want to double check and make sure that your queen is not on one of the bars or frames that you're about to shake in there if you do not want her in that split. It all depends on the style of split that you're planning on doing and and your methods and reasoning behind it. But the concept of having these two extra frames or bars of bees shaken down into the split is because your foragers, a lot of those older bees, those foragers, they're already pre-programmed on where they need to go. And they know where their home site is so they're probably going to leave and migrate back to the parent colony which will then further reduce the actual population inside the nuke so it's going to be very beneficial for you to get these two extra frames in there make sure that that colony has a big enough population and if you can do so make sure they're frames of open brood because the majority of the bees on those frames will be nurse bees and they will stay in that new split that you're making this is just to help you balance things out so that when it's all said and done any drifters or foragers have moved back to the other colony you still have a decent population inside your split that can go through take care of everything and help that split get off to a good start and grow now this the time of year that you do this you can make a split Here for us, let's say in the United States, especially Mm -hmm. down in the southern states, you can make a split all the way up in through September if you wanted to, but you're going to have to feed it and you're going to have to monitor it and watch it to make sure that it gets big enough and strong enough to survive winter. Now, surviving winter is a one-to-one ratio, so if you got two boxes... You can say, I have a box of bees. I want to make sure I have a box of food for Mm -hmm. them to survive the winter. If you have one box, then you look at it as a bar or a frame of bees to a bar or a frame of food. So if you've got five bars in there or five frames in a deep box and they're all covered in bees and the Mm -hmm. other five frames are all capped food stores, Mm -hmm. you're good to go. They can survive the winter just fine in that one box if they have that ratio. Then the other part is enough bees. You still need a big enough population to generate that heat and survive that winter. So you can make your splits. You know, right now is a perfect time because we're in the middle of our main nectar flow here in central Mm -hmm. Texas. So making a split anywhere from March, April, May, June is all right. But July and August for us is a summer dearth. It's hot and nothing grows. No Mm nectar is really produced. So at those time periods, if you just got your nuke or you just got a package or you just did a split, feed them. You're going to need to feed them through July and August. You may be feeding them one quart a week for the majority of that year, and that's okay because you're also not supposed to be taking any honey from them, Mm -hmm. so you don't have to worry about, oops, I potentially adulterated my honey harvest with sugar syrup. Mm -hmm. You're not supposed to take anything in year one. That's all for them to grow and, and get bigger and expand. And then in year two, you follow a little bit of a different method so that you stop feeding early enough. You feed early enough that the bees get big enough, but you stop feeding early enough that by the time there's capped honey and nectar in there, it's just that. It's not sugar syrup. So we kind of went like, that was all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) And
1: folks, if you're feeding, if you're mixing the the sugar water, (laughs) I found out something. Four quart jars is 10 pounds of sugar.
0: Oh, you went through that whole bag you bought.
1: Yeah, four quart <laughs> jars. You I fill, told you. You fill that quart jar to the top, then put—I got my hot my tap water as hot as I could get it. Mm-hmm. Just put it in there, let it fill up, and
0: then it'll settle down, and you put a little more water in it and shake the hell out of it. Yep, yeah, that's that's what I do. I take a container. That container is about eh, a little bit over three quarters of the way full mm-hmm. of sugar. Fill it with hot water until it gets up to the top. Close it. Shake it a little bit, and that helps speed that process up mm-hmm. where it kind of mixes all down in there. Then it gives you another empty space at the top. Yep. Fill and it the rest it of the way with it. the hot water mm-hmm. again. Seal it back up and just shake the heck out of it. Yeah,
1: when you fill it up with water again, hot water again, it helps dissolve it better. Yeah, it warms absolutely. it back up.
0: Yeah, and then you and, just
1: shake and shake and shake. And if it doesn't melt it down quickly... I found out you can take your sink, put a plug in it, turn the hot water on in the other sink, let it run till it gets as hot as you can, put it over there, turn it on, fill it to cover those four bottles up, and it'll help melt them better.
0: That's true. Um, Or you could just shake them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's yeah. the if you keep shaking it, it actually helps the solution mm-hmm. mix up. But yeah, the the warmth will eventually melt the sugar down in there as well, and that's why the the hot water does actually make it go quicker. If you're making a bigger batch, like I make mine in five gallon buckets at a time, mm-hmm. and so I go through damn near an entire twenty five pound mm-hmm. bag of sugar per five gallon bucket, mm-hmm. and you end up, I'll take two big cooking pots, put them on the stove, and boil the water mm-hmm. because have a lot more sugar i've got to dissolve yeah, right yeah. so i'll boil one pot of water dump it in there stir it and then just straight hot water out of the tap dump it in there and stir it and mm-hmm. then that'll kind of give me my full five gallon bucket and i'm ready to go that'll on work. that but I, i'm feeding a lot more bees and so no, yeah i'll have buckets in the back of the truck and some of them have the spouts and we go out and one person's filling up, you know, the new jars that we're going to put in. The other one's going and pulling the old ones and switching them out with the new ones. And, and then we've got some open feeders and some outyards that are they're quite a ways away from the bees themselves. But they're a modified five-gallon bucket that gets inverted. Has holes around where the lid would be at the top. So when right. you flip it over, those holes fill up those little channels. And then it becomes like a gravity feeder where mm-hmm. as they drink it down, another little globe will come out and fill it back up. But... The... Uh... Looking online, I know we,
1: um, you you find so many different kinds of feeders to build. Mm-hmm. Where you take your little strips of wood and put it, put your uh, piece of three 8 plywood down, and you put strips of wood, put another piece of three 8 plywood down, drill your holes in there, and then have your little strips of wood. So you punch your holes in the in the lid, and then just set it over there. But you can't make it too tall, so the bees can't reach it.
0: Yeah, they'll get there, though. They'll, yeah. they'll crawl up the sides and get up into it. Yeah. If you've got the inner cover, though, on the Langstroth, so you don't even have to build anything to set the jar on. You just mm-hmm. set the jar right over the top of the opening on the inner cover with the holes in the center of it. They'll come right up there and take it. I can see that. Yeah. So it, the, oh, did you,
1: Have you tried that one that I gave you yet? Not no. yet,
0: no. Um, the I'll have to do... So we're, we've got some more splits and stuff that we are going to end up making here pretty soon, and I'll have to try it on one of those because all the rest of the big colonies now they're not getting fed. We stopped feeding them about 4 weeks ago. And they are they're the ones that do our honey production. Right. So we've we've quit, you know, cut back entirely on it. We've hoped that they've got big enough and now there's enough out mm-hmm. there for them. But we're also finding that it's all over the place as far as where your nectar's at. So out there where you were, tons of flowers. Yes. And you were telling me when you went back out and checked on them that they were just bringing in loads of pollen. Oh, man, they are working. Pollen everywhere, and that's great because there's flowers everywhere. They need the pollen to raise new Mm -hmm. babies. That makes the hive grow. Well, just here, so there's maybe 20 miles between our closest and our furthest apiary, right? Mm -hmm. And at that one end of that 20 miles, everything looks like it's drying up. (laughs) But then over at the other one, at the opposite side of that, everything's just in like hand over fist full production yeah. making way more there's more bees more wax more nectar inside the colony so it's even locally your climate and your regions can be so sporadically different that's why you got to keep an eye on them yep. we saw some people on one of the forums here yesterday I was going through looking at it and they were asking you know oh well when do you guys harvest for your area and when should I harvest and there was hundreds of different answers in there all over the place. Everybody's got a different... Yeah, and and ultimately what you do is you don't go by the calendar, you don't go by even your neighbor, you go by what your bees are doing. Right. If your bees have solid boxes of solid frames of solid capped honey, then it's time for you to do a honey harvest. If they don't and all the frames are half and half, it's not time for you to do a honey harvest. I don't care if it's July or if it's August, if they still have solid frames that are 50% open nectar, it's not time. Yeah, you know, it, see that. some years there's more humid. It takes them longer to dehydrate mm-hmm. it down. There, there's all these different things that can happen in there. So, you just go by the bees. The bees know when it's time to do whatever it is for them that they need to do, and we just kind of help help that along.
1: Yeah, ours the honey harvest is probably more later in the year where it is drier because we have some fronts coming in and blows the humidity out, and
0: <laughs> so little little um little known fact, Austin has monsoon seasons,
1: oh yeah, we do, and no, we're in
0: one right now it it actually is um a little bit of a shock, I think, to even some of the people that live in Austin yeah. <laughs> because yeah. if you rewind back five years ago, we were in a historic drought, and the yes. lakes were like seventy five foot low from yeah. where they should be. Yeah. And then in one two- to three-week time period, well, yeah. about four years ago... Rain bomb. We had so much rain that all the lakes went from 75-foot low to overflowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, then it has stayed that way. So now, every May and every October, we have, like, these torrential monsoons. And when mm-hmm. we get rain, we get rain. We get, like, five inches in an hour, and the ground doesn't know what the heck to do with all of it. Mm-hmm. And so, it, we, you know, streets turn into rivers, and it just gets crazy. But then it may not rain again for a month. So we have some really strange weather. But right now, we're, we're, even today, they've got more storms on the way. And yeah, we, right. had, uh, we had an event we were supposed to do today that ended up getting canceled, which this will be my first day off, minus coming in to record the show. <laughs> this will be my first day off in, in a couple of months. So that's kind of awesome. I'm looking forward to that. Heck, yeah. <laughs> sit
1: and uh, watch TV.
0: Yeah, I'll curl up on the couch and, and turn my brain off for a yeah,
1: little while. Yeah, I understand that. You got a long drive before you can do that. Oh, my brain never goes off.
0: <laughs> I'm always thinking, you know, Oh, I need to call John and ask I, him about <laughs> I this. I was gonna say <laughs> I've noticed that because I get the random text messages and phone calls. Oh, what yeah. if, or Pretty I much. saw, or did you see, <laughs> or Pretty couldn't we do this? Yep, that's how it works. Yeah,
1: and we have fun doing it. That's what it's all about. I mean, uh, people say, well, Ken, why are you getting in bees? Well. It, they're so much like people; they're like us. I mean, it, it, it. The more you you study bees, the more you say, "Damn, where well, we, was
0: our water's running?" Is that what that is? No, I don't know what it is. I don't. I don't know. I don't know if you guys can actually hear that on their mics or not. But it was almost like like a like the running. air conditioner turned on. Some, oh, that's
1: probably what it is. Air conditioner. Yeah, air
0: conditioner. Yeah, that's what it is. It was. It was almost like afterburners for a jet for a minute. I like. We both looked around the studio like, what the hell is that?
1: But yeah, it's it's so much like being around people. All I want to know, have we got? Re- Republican hives and Democrat hives? Do they get along? Uh, Do we have have to split them? I don't know. Maybe that's why we have splits. I'll shut up now and let you have it.
0: All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, We always appreciate it. Definitely, you can always find us online through our social media. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Hive Jive or send us an email, info at thehivejive.com. You can check out the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. We are on pretty much all of them. Definitely like and subscribe. And if you're listening to us through any of the Apple products, iTunes, Apple podcast, be sure to comment, like, and subscribe. We would definitely love that. That helps boost us up there a little bit. We've got more fun things coming for you guys down the road. So stick around. And until then, be safe. Be good. Be happy. Be happy.
1: (laughs) I'm always happy. See (laughs) y'all later, but good. Bye. It's time for our guys to buzz off. But don't fret. The Hive Jive journey continues with new episodes on the first and third Mondays every month. Until then, you can follow along with the guys on Facebook and Instagram at The Hive Jive. Thanks for listening, and be safe out there.